Upstream with Jim and John, father and son conversations about discipleship and culture in the Pacific Northwest. I'm John. And I'm Jim. And today we're going to talk about a question that I've had for a while, a conversation I've wanted to have for a while, um, about uh, missions, uh, why is not, or not even ministry is the better way to put it, because hmm. missions is, is maybe a specific flavor of of ministry, right? Yeah. So, or, or really, why is everyone, how radical is everyone supposed to be? How... Um, why isn't everyone supposed to sell their house and go to Africa? Now, you you mentioned that you've been wanting to have this conversation for a while, and it could be said that I've been shucking and jiving not to have this conversation. And it's because it's unclear to me, and even as you describe it, it's a little bit unclear. So what brought us to this conversation today is you recently saw a Francis Chan message, and your question is, it feels like that he's so caught up in uh, moving among the poor in a foreign land where they've never heard the name Jesus and almost making you feel guilty if you don't sign up and do that. A little bit. I think it's that kind of thing where you like, um, you think, I really don't want to do that, so maybe I'm supposed to do that. Oh, uh, that yeah, like maybe God wants me to do the thing I most don't want to do. Right. And so, and, and if I really loved him, that's what I would do. And we'll get into it. But the video is very much like, hey, guys, I woke up. And it makes me feel like, <laughs> oh, well, then I guess I'm still sleeping. But then there's, um, and, and we'll get into it, lots of verses about this. And I have questions about um, the varying, the space that Jesus makes in his parables for everyday people. Right. And and just lots of questions. So uh, so it'll be one of those. It's going to be good. Yeah. We promise. Even we, though we're making this sound really confusing, it's going to get clear and good shortly. Awesome. I we'll, believe that. I'm, we're good. At least one of us has has faith. <laughs> uh, before that, it is uh, story or joke time, and your turn this week. Yeah, so I thought I would tell the story of the girl I was dating when I became a Christian. Mm. So um, I was uh, 16 years old. My dad had recently passed away. I was dating Kathy before my dad died. Okay. Her name was Kathy. And she was my first, you know, teenage girlfriend. And we were we were thick as thieves, the two of us. And, of course, I'm not a Christian, not even got that on the compass when I start dating her. Sure. But she already was. No. No, she wasn't. No, she was oh, not. Okay. And so um, <clears throat> we um, – I've never been a drug user, right? Mm-hmm. I don't like it. Never smoked weed. I've never tried weed. Not because I'm super high horse moral guy, but I was always terrified of them. Yeah. Um, anyway, so we're dating. My dad dies. He comes to faith before he dies, my whole family. Then I, then I become a Christian like three weeks after his death. Well, when I became a Christian, I became all in, like all in. It, was, it became my whole life. Yeah, you went pro right off the gate. <laughs> <laughs> and so I tried to, I, I started saying, hey, we go, go church is what we do. Yeah, mm-hmm. this is what we're doing. <laughs> so I took her to church with me a couple of Sundays, took her on a couple of Wednesday nights to the youth program. And she said, look, this is not my thing. Yeah. I can't do this. Don't want to do this. The whole, uh, the whole faith or, or? The faith thing. She said, I really want to date you, but I'm but I'm not going to church with you anymore. And was it the organization? Was it? No, nope, she just had no interest in God. Hmm. Um, she had a tough episodes in her childhood and yeah. um, didn't believe in God. 
Anyway, so I said, well, look, it's either me and Jesus or neither of us. Sure. <laughs> and uh, she said, I just can't do it. So we broke up. And uh, about two weeks later, I'm sitting in typing class. Typing okay? class. We had typewriters. And you took ty- now they have keyboarding and you learn mm-hmm. data and you know, computer work. It was typewriters with electric, electric typewriters and typing class. Anyway, I'm sitting in typing class, and I hear this blood-curdling scream. Hmm. And the last time I talked to Kathy, I looked at her notebook. You know, had the, the plastic covers where you could slide a picture in there? Sure. And she had slid a drawing she had of a marijuana leaf. And so I could tell, man, she was, she was going the complete opposite direction I was going. Mm-hmm. And so I hear this blood-curdling scream, and I think, oh, no. It didn't sound like Kathy, but I thought, that's Kathy. And sure enough, uh, somebody had given her some drugs that she tried, and she was hallucinating in biology across the hall, down a few doors. She jumped up on the table and thought there were animals clawing at her and trying to get her. And Whoa. And um, <clears throat> really broke my heart. But uh, right after that, I'm in the next day I'm in my geometry class with Colonel Jolly. I've mentioned him to you before because I couldn't stand geometry. Colonel Jolly. He ruined math for me. But anyway. Put that one in your pocket for another episode. Yeah. So Colonel Jolly says to me, hey, I saw what happened to your girlfriend. And he was, you know, kind of jabbing me with it. Yeah. And uh, so. Cold-blooded, man. It was. And, um, yeah. So the the story that that I'm telling is that, um, you, you know, that. I made a choice, and Mm -hmm. I have wondered, um, not should I be with Kathy. I've never wondered that. Sure. (laughs) But I've wondered, should I have stayed in the relationship longer rather than just cut and run? To to make maybe maybe evangelistic dating. Right, right. That that, that wouldn't have happened if you guys were together. Yeah, that's what I've wondered. And a couple years later, I came home from college, and um, a car drives by, and she pulls over and stops and runs out to talk to me. I hadn't seen her in two or three years. Mm-hmm. And um, she grabs her friend out of the car. This is him. I was telling you about him. And she really uh, wanted the relationship to work, but she never did have any interest in the things of God. Yeah. But uh, that's the story that, that I, that I uh, made the decision to end the relationship because she wouldn't engage in faith with me. And then she had this thing happen to her. And I've always wondered, was did I make the right call or not? Uh, I mean, I'm not <laughs> I'm not here to to ease assuage your feelings. But I think biblically, we both know you you did what uh, you did, what Paul would have done. Well, yeah. I, I sure I certainly should have ended the romantic relationship. Yeah. But um, I probably should have pursued her. The minute I saw the marijuana, and I, you know, it's not like I didn't try, but we were on different planets, man. And I mean, you're, you're a uh, 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 biblical infant. You're newborn. That's true. You know, yeah. and so it's not to say that if anyone's listening who is in that case, not to say that you can't do anything. You can't help people change their lives, right, or whatever. Right. But it's 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 harder. It's riskier. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I don't know why I felt like telling that story, but that's my story. Why? Well, and I'm sticking to it. I've got. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a lot. Of, uh, I've shared a lot like that where mm-hmm. there is no meaning to yeah. it necessarily. Yeah. That's just got more story. meaning than a lot yeah. of my stories, or it's got at least got a better ending. A lot of mine just kind of are just moments that I, for some reason, happen to remember, <laughs> and there are so few of them that I'm going to have to share them all eventually. Right, right. But uh, 
But that's awesome. All right. So, so, so set this, us up now. Yeah, this video. I was setting this up. You gotta, you gotta let me. You gotta let my. You gotta let the peacock fly. You Please know? forgive me. You gotta let the peacock spread let his wings. Get, let and... me get out of your creative space. I don't want to block <laughs> you. <laughs> well, don't do that. I'm gonna need you here in like 30 seconds when I forget oh, what I'm no, saying. I'm tapped out. <laughs> so I'm watching this video, and it's titled, and we can we'll we'll share a link because I don't know how easy this is to find because I can't find the original video. It is titled from as far as I can tell, an organization that is not Francis Chan's. Francis Chan's last message to America. Titled super ominously, and I don't think yeah, and it's 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 at Bayside Churches. I'm a big fan of Bayside Church. Okay, it's at the website of Bayside Church. Someone from Bayside posted it. He's speaking at Bayside when he did it. Okay, and um, they said this could possibly be his last message to America because he went to Hong Kong after that. Yeah. So uh, and basically, he talks about um, and he had left already earlier than this to go do a lot of uh, missions work. He tells a lot of stories from uh, trips that he had to Myanmar, um, which is a country in Southeast Asia, or at least a community. I don't know anything about it, really. But anyway, uh, um, really, really cool experiences he had there, experiences telling uh, people who have never once heard the gospel, telling them about the gospel. And uh, and living living among the poor in this really rough bungalow kind of neighborhood yeah. with his four children and, and his wife yeah. in uh, villages that were friendly, and then he would go from there to villages that... Um, he learned, he makes a joke about it. He learned after the fact that he'd been there, his translator said, man, I was really nervous because last time I was there, they chased me out with knives. Oh, so like, wow. and he says, you told me after, <laughs> uh, but, but you know, um, really crazy stuff. So, and none of this at all is to call any of this into question or after, sure. and after this, he moved again to, uh, the poorest community in Hong Kong. I'm not going to say that name cause I can't even, I can't pronounce it, mm-hmm. but um, so, as far as we know, he's still in Hong Kong, right? He is, yeah. yeah. He's still there. Still there doing ministry. He has a um, uh, an organization there. Uh, but his big thing is uh, these... Um, it It is like a... It is, hey, everybody, I I found it. I'm I f- woke. I, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I found the thing that they talk about in all the New Testament, all the letters. I found the thing. And he wants to tell us about it. And, uh, and he never once makes these... Um, points but what i took a, what what i noticed was that the um the people he's talking to their lives don't really fit into this equation that he was mm-hmm. saying yeah was how saying, can we do what you're doing exactly because you're saying that what you're doing you found it right and you brought up a good point uh on the resources that he has at this point that he, he that he can do this he can go there set up there and there are a lot of people a lot of um uh, lay people lay theologians uh, who have gone to missions? Who, mm-hmm. but they they go through and they get, um, you know, like if they go through the AG, they they get accredited there, and they go through a lot of stuff there. So it's not raise that, a bunch of money, but, yeah. But he could self fund. He, yeah. you know, he sold a million million books, and um, if he wanted to do a GoFundMe, he would have it raised in thirty minutes. Yeah, and so, um, and so, just a lot of preface work. I don't want this conversation to be how can I feel better about not doing that. <laughs> Right? How can I assuage my guilt and continue to sit on my butt on my couch and and you know and think about things? So so so. But not, the legitimate question you're asking, I think, because I, I want to I want to see if I can land on what it is you're actually struggling with, which is in my from what I understand so far, if I'm not supposed to go do that, what am I supposed to do? Yeah, yeah, and um, and how am I not uh a more shallow believer than him for not doing that. Right. 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 How is he not the real deal? And I'm, and I'm the, the, 
he's the real McCoy. I'm the fake McCoy. Mm-hmm. Such thing exists. You know, that kind of thing. And, uh, and very soon after, this will be kind of a, I have lots of questions, but, but there's also a, a burgeoning um, answer I have to this. And uh, very soon after or before, I can't really remember, uh, uh, this video I was reading, and uh, there's the parable of the sower. And uh, I'll read it, and it's only at the very end where this thing caught my eye. Uh, but the parable of the sower, you know, uh, the uh, the sower is going around throwing seeds around. And it talks about the reception those seeds get in different kinds of environments. And so he gets to uh, uh, the good soil, the point of the parable, that the good soil receives the seed, produces good fruit. Um, if you've, if you've is that much, Matthew 13? Yeah, Matthew 13. Thank you. And, uh, and but the point that, that, that stood out to me is he's talking about this. This is Matthew 13, 8, at the end of that parable. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Mm. Whoever has ears, let them hear. So here, and it reminded me of the parable of the talents, and I'll get into that in just a second, but uh, he's making concession for um, different um, levels of productivity, really different capacity of um, of followers of Jesus, of, of members of the kingdom. And so, because uh, really my mind went to, why would he say that? Yeah, 30, 60, and 100. Why, Why would there be a variety of... It's 100. Yeah. Everybody's 100. Yeah, they produce like crazy. It is so right. fruitful. And um, and it is fruitful because even 30 is fruitful. Exactly. Yeah. That's still that's still amazing. But but up to 100-fold, like yeah. that's crazy. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to breathe a bit. I'm not used to talking this much. Uh, uh, <laughs> do you have initial thoughts on this kind of... Well, so so I'm trying to link what you're doing here. So you're, you're wondering if Francis Chan is a 100-fold guy. And maybe you're a 30-fold guy. Yeah, that's my burgeoning idea, is that um, because Jesus does this again in the uh, parable of the talents, um, uh, where he, you know, each is really, each, he judges them on how they did with what they had. Yeah. So, so there is the varying levels of success, um, not levels of success, they all have the same level of success if they did what they could with what they had. Right. It's like the woman with the penny, who who gives her the penny, and really yeah. she gave more than... Than the and, others, because she gave everything she had. Exactly. So... Uh, the talents, the person with uh, uh, two doubles what they had, the person with three doubles what they had, and the person with five talents had doubled what they had. Uh, and that is well, Matthew. The, oh, okay. That is uh, uh, Matthew twenty five fourteen. And a lot of these parables show up in other gospels. But the, the two versions. doubled? I thought he just buried it in the ground. No, the one. The guy with one buried it in the ground. Well, they didn't have one, two, five, and ten. There was only three guys. Maybe it was one, three, and five? I think it was one, five, and ten. And the one buries it in the ground. The five doubles, the ten doubles. Point being. And... The ten gets rewarded, not the five. The uh, well, I think we're talking about different gospels. Now. Okay, in Matthew, it's a lot simpler than this. Okay, uh, the guy says, "You did great. You did great. I'm not pleased with you." And he throws the guy who buried his and didn't multiply yeah, at all. Yeah. Uh, point being, there's mul- there's multiple times where Jesus makes a point to say that not everybody uh, bears the same volume. Exactly, but you should bear something. Exactly, you should produce. There's a lot of things about producing with the fig tree and. And uh, in these and so the fig tree he curses because there's no fruit on it. So basically, there's an expectation of production. Exactly. But, so okay, go ahead. So if I, um, Francis Chan is given a huge platform, mm-hmm. and he, um, given that, you know, that's the language I I would use. I think that's the language he would use. Given that, but through the will of God and through his own obedience to the will of God, uh, and with that, he needs to produce this much, or or, or however you want to look at that. Mm-hmm. Say I I'm in where I am now. Still a bigger audience than than other people, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, or say I'm in, you know, I'm in Timbuktu, Kansas. Uh, is my um, calling smaller? And does that um, matter? 
these and and I and I forgive me for laying such big questions on you or vague questions maybe. But this is what this is what I'm asking. So so if you you're pastoring a church of like 20, mm-hmm. is your uh is your task smaller, I guess. Well, um that I feel like that's a different question than the one I thought you were asking. So um so you're you're saying your productivity needs to be in alignment with and proportional to the platform you've been given and the talents that have been invested in you. Yeah, as um each according to their ability is a lot of the time the, mm-hmm. the word that she uses. Mm-hmm. So, um and you're you're wondering if how would you would use that ability? What what would the measurement be like for Francis Chan? It's ironic because he's going to these places where he's dealing with people who've never heard Jesus' name. So his harvest there would be arguably smaller than it would be if he were fishing in a pond like the United States. Because his reach here is is massive. That's a good point. It's It's very massive. Not just about audience. Yeah. And so a a guy comes to my mind, um, Henry Nouwen, um, Mm -hmm. dead now, Catholic uh, priest. I very much love this guy. And he became quite famous because of his writing and lectures. And um, he felt like God asked him to go and serve um, developmentally disabled adults um, who had no idea who he was. You know, he was mm-hmm. used to lecturing and touring and drawing big crowds. Sure. And he felt like God asked him to go into nowhere and serve those who could not recognize him, pay him back, or give him any strokes for what he was doing. Sure. And he did that for five years. He served in anonymity because he felt like God, this was his next thing to do for God because God wanted him to know it's not about how many people you can draw. It's not about how wow you can be. It's not about anybody ever even knowing your name. Hmm. And so I can't help but wonder with Francis Chan if there's a part of that that he's going through as well. That here in the States, you're this big deal. You get paid thousands of dollars when you speak. You can sell lots of books. Let me take you someplace where nobody knows who you are, and they've never heard of Jesus, and you just get back to the raw nitty-gritty of loving the poor and serving people far from God. <clears throat> so I think there might be something going on there that's not about productivity. It's about conviction or, in these two specific cases, maybe. Yeah. Part of it to me felt, um, and I could be, very good chance I could be projecting here, but, um, but he didn't always seem... Uh, super comfortable with with being so um, famous yeah famous and uh and i wonder what kind of role a sort of guilt might have played i'm so comfortable here i'm so blessed mm-hmm. here i've uh, wrestled and, with that yeah you know, i can identify with that mm-hmm. and may, it's maybe the same with with henry uh now and mm-hmm. um and uh, and i wonder what role it plays here like i said earlier when i when i prefaced with uh, what kind of guilt i feel for not um in in ways i might not be all in quote unquote mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So maybe I'll, if if it took me twenty minutes almost to get to the crux of it, I'm so sorry. But but I think this is all this is all part of it's my, part of the process. Yeah. yeah. So is it then that um, what does all in look like at varying levels? Mm-hmm. So what is the three talent guy? If that's the number again, apologies about that. Um, what does his doubling look like? When he's not Francis Chan, when he's not even in ministry, when when, right, when he's a right. uh, he's a, a mechanic, mm-hmm. what is his doubling of the of his talents of his talents? 
and talents were a measure of money. And right. in, in the in the parable, it is a measure of money. So I'm entrusting you with a measurement of value, mm-hmm. and you're going to double its value. Um, this obviously isn't a financial conversation, right? Um, but it's it's like this um, this resource that's been given to you. So John, you have a resource God has entrusted to you of a certain volume, and it is His expectation that you invest that um, resource and that it produce a return for God and for his kingdom. Yeah. So the question is, how are you supposed to do that? What does it look like for, if you think you're a two talent guy uh, or a five talent guy, I'm not a 10 talent guy, then what does it look like to be faithful to that and to produce? That's right. your question. That Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, um, I think some of the factors that, let me just ask you this. What makes you nervous? It's not what makes me nervous. It's what is, um, it's when things don't get, aren't, aren't simple anymore. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, you, you think, oh, if my, uh, what is that? The, one of the catechisms that you like to quote is, is the chief goal of man is to know the chief God. chief end of man is to know God and, and enjoy him forever. Enjoy him forever. Simple. Easy. Yeah. I have it memorized as one sentence. Uh, um, and you, and you, you are doing that. Well, I I hope to. Yeah. So you're saying, you know, I'm I'm all in on that. Yeah. And but then this, um, and and there's a, a famously kind of controversial term from John Piper, uh, Christian hedonism, where he mm. talks about how um, the the goal of a Christian is to um, is to enjoy God. It's the same thing. Mm-hmm. In fact, I think he might have wrote that catechism. Um, but uh, when there's this uh, emphasis on productivity mm-hmm. for God. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fig tree that doesn't produce fruit is cursed. The mm-hmm. uh, um, the servant who buries his talent, and he buries it because he fears his master. He fears he that he will lose the resource, yes. so he at least preserves it. And maybe he does say, uh, I know my master to be a, a harsh um, man, a harsh man who reaps where he does not sow. <laughs> and and the, he says, the master says, well, if you know that, then why you be a, why are you an right. idiot about that? At least give it to the bankers and make interest. Right. So, uh, um Point being, it, it it is, and these could be um, uh, in particular harsh words among Jesus, uh, much more mm-hmm. soft words mm-hmm. that he, you know, it's not this is the only thing he said, but when there's an era, uh, uh, an emphasis on productivity, um, I don't always know what that looks like. Mm-hmm. You know, like uh, I remember in high school, I asked you because I was like, um, I was talking about one of my friends. So I had this friend, we'd hang out in the library every day, and uh, his dad was. Uh, man, he he was in prison. I think at the time for selling cocaine. His, his dad, so he hadn't seen his dad in a while. Wow, really tough uh, home life. But he would, uh, and he, I think, he used to go to the church as a kid, and he was uh, volunteering to do like sound and light stuff for the youth group mm-hmm. at the time at his church, not at not at uh, mm-hmm. Evergreen. And uh, and I was like, well, at least he's there. But he was thinking, you know, he was exploring a bunch of other faiths, mm-hmm. just kind of figuring out. We were juniors in high school, you know, so whatever you can figure out when you're a junior in high school. But, uh, my senior year, I come back from the summer and he's talking about how he loves God. He's going to his church, not just to help with lights and stuff. And, uh, and I wondered what role I played in that just through, again, through this idea of, of ministry as, um, as the way you live. Right. And, uh, and I thought, but isn't that kind of wimpy? Isn't that kind of like, cause I never told him about God. You for, never, you never really talked about faith. Right. And I wrote it off for one, cause he was going to the, his church. He was doing mm-hmm. light stuff for his church. Um, but the real truth of it is I didn't want to have that conversation. It's, it's uncomfortable. <laughs> and, 
and tangential, I won't get into the one this much. I was listening to another guy talk about, he was a, an ex-Muslim, grew up Muslim in America, and he talks about how um, these people around him who he knew to be Christian growing up they, in, his, in his schools, they either didn't believe that he was going to go to hell for being a Muslim, or they did, and they just didn't care. And so he's like, how could you not tell me? Right, right. And uh, and so so a lot of it is guilt on my end, where mm-hmm. I think, what does that look like? Is it simply telling everybody in earshot about Jesus, regardless of that earshot? Mm-hmm. Is that what it is? Is the talent a, a deposit like of the spirit, of spirit anointing? Is that what it right, is? Right, right. Many, many questions. Well, and I, I'm, I'm going to jump in with a little bit of my journey that parallels this, of my struggle, my whole adult ministry life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, I kept asking myself, um, why should I pastor a prosperous, predominantly white, suburban, high-income mm-hmm. church instead of working among the poor? Um, am I supposed to go work among the poor? You know, I kept saying to God, let if I left this church, there would be 500 resumes in the first 30 days. <laughs> so there's people sure. standing in line to pastor the church I pastor. Why yeah. don't you send me somewhere that nobody wants to go? And um, I've had this struggle with, am I supposed to suffer? Am I supposed to, is it, is it okay to live in a nice home and to have a nice wage or to uh, save for retirement or to have investments or to have a toy that's a fairly expensive toy, a motorcycle, for example. Yeah. And really wrestling with how, what is sacrifice supposed to look like? What does it look like to be fully committed to Christ um, economically and in your vocation, especially if you're called to ministry? And so I noticed that all my friends, all the pastors I know, the older they get and the, you know, the more they grow, they don't take uh, smaller churches, they take bigger ones and they take, they get sure. churches that with higher wages and they have more people to influence. And part of that as well, they've grown their skills and they've gotten better yeah. in there. Oh yeah. And not just anybody could pastor a church of 2000 people. That takes a certain skill set. This, the 20, 20 church, 20 member church guy couldn't necessarily couldn't walk do into it. that. Right. The and, mega just, and just do that. Yeah. Um, and there have been um, a, a few times where we did go backwards economically. We, we left a, a, a very, um, you know, healthy, vibrant church we had planted after seven and a half years and moved to Montana and took a massive pay cut. And um, and we've done it a couple of times where we went backwards. Mm-hmm. But I still wondered, um, why am I getting the plush gig? And, and should I feel bad about having the plush gig? Yeah. So I part of that, I think, is. Um, you know, how much am I supposed to be, how radical am I supposed to be um, in terms of comforts? And is it okay to like my life? Is it okay to like where I live? Sure. And I, and I heard a little bit of that in you um, listening to Francis Chan, you know, walk away from Simi Valley, California. He was pastoring a mega church, making a good wage, living in a very comfortable place near his, you know, he's got two adult kids and a couple of grandkids. He's near them. I think he's got seven children. Seven children and, um, yeah, two grandkids. And he's only 52, I think. Mm-hmm. So anyway. Um, a young 52, man. I When I heard that, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> he's a young-looking guy. Um, anyway, so um, so I do think we're talking about two different things because I don't think economic hardship and um, working among the poor, for example, is the same thing as five talents becoming 10 or 10 talents becoming 20. Hmm. 
I'm not sure I would call that productivity. I think I would call that something else. Yeah. Um, so I'm not sure that those completely dovetail. And we might be confusing a couple of conversations. So um, I've been thinking about this notion of what should the church be calling the average person to? Like if, sure. if, if, I'm, if I'm pastoring you, John, and I'm saying, hey, here's what being a disciple of Jesus looks like. We have the Great Commission, go into all the world, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them, and teaching them to obey mm-hmm. all the things I've taught. And, um, you know, there's a, a, a guy I like who said the, the real pragmatic way that churches have done the Great Commission is we've gone into all the world, uh, recruited church attenders, and <laughs> baptized them into small groups and called them to volunteer one or two hours a month. And hmm. that turns out to be all that the church asks of you. Sure. You know, drop a few bucks, volunteer for an hour or two, be a part of a small group, and you're crushing it. Yeah. And it sounds like, you know, when Francis Chan says, I'm having, I'm woke now. I see um, the power of my faith, and I see this incredible joy of talking to someone who's never even heard the name Jesus. And he has lots of, yeah, he talks a lot about Seeing the power miracles. that he saw of, yeah. of God. Yeah. And so he's like coming alive through this sacrifice, but I'm not sure this is the confusion is where does all this merge for a guy like you or me? Now you had referenced uh, earlier in our conversation, first, uh, first Thessalonians four eleven. read that to us. Sure. Because I think that makes up uh, it, 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 it'll help bring context to the conversation. Just one more notch here and then we'll, we'll get intense on application. Yeah, and this one jumped out to me a while ago, uh, almost because I feel like uh, I feel like I was looking for it, and then I read it, and I was like, "Really? <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, is, maybe I'm right." Yeah. So this is a uh, 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 First Thessalonians letter of Paul, um, uh, four eleven. Uh, really, I'll start at eight, just because I'll finish off that paragraph. So, um, no, you're right. I'll start. I'll start at. Uh, I'll start at eleven. Uh, Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do more and more, and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders, so that you will not be dependent on anybody. And uh, what do you hear that saying? Well, um, very, very rarely is the message from a spiritual mentor to the to the recipient. Mm-hmm. Um, Mind your mind your own, you know, <laughs> uh, and because there's so much again in Jesus teaching specifically uh, let, about letting your light shine. Don't put you don't put the light underneath the bed. You let it right. shine over throughout the room. You're the salt of this world, you know. Um, and so my very initial thoughts are that he's addressing the Thessalonians. This is this is a letter to people, and right there specifically because in those letters he gives a lot of sweeping commands mm-hmm. in that paragraph specifically. Um, he's talking to the Thessalonians, you know, mm-hmm. th- this is, this is for them. So I worry, I second guess, you know, maybe this is just for them. Um, and why would he want them to mind their own business, lead a quiet life, be productive with their hands. So they're not t- de- being, uh, dependent on other people potentially because, well, are you going to, sorry, was that not a rhetorical or no, I'm at, yeah. Why would he say that to them, but not to anybody else? What would be unique about them that would call for such a requirement? In my imagination, it's some kind of context they don't have. So it's, you mm-hmm. know, maybe the Thessalonians were accused of being freeloaders on the mm-hmm. city or mm-hmm. something. And he says, hey, um, um, be efficient 
and, and take care of yourself so know that they can't accuse you of anything, that they can look at the people of God yeah. and, and, and. So the them. question is, am I cutting you off or you? No, no, okay. that was good. So the question is, if I am, if I love Jesus with my whole heart and I lead a quiet life and I work hard and I'm productive with my hands so that I'm not dependent on anyone. Mm-hmm. In fact, I'm a resource to others. Is that enough? Yeah. Does that make me a one talent guy? Am I burying something in the ground here? Exactly. Or am I doing what I'm supposed to do? Am I, is that, is that means I'm a five talent guy and this is what five talent guys do. <laughs> they lead a quiet life and uh, productive with their hands. I think this is really the core of the question. Yeah. All right. And we're going to answer it. There you go. Right after, <laughs> <laughs> uh, right after show and tell uh-huh. and our commercial. So you're up for show and tell. And then we're going to come back and answer that question, have a couple of application points, and call it a day. And take it home. Okay, so this is, like my idea of my stories, my show and tell today is uh, understated, is the polite word for it. Oh, okay. Uh, This is a variety of pen that I found (laughs) when I was, it was, you know, throughout school, I would find uh, pens and pencils left on desks. And I, it was like a treasure. I'd find it and I'd be like, yes. And I would keep that as long as I could throughout the year. Eventually, they would either break in my pocket, run out of ink or, or mm-hmm. lead, mm-hmm. any number of things. This one, I was like, holy smokes. They're not expensive pens. They are, uh, oh, my, I can't actually even tell you. This one is so faded. It's been in my pocket for so long that the label is actually gone. I recognize it now that I'm looking at it. The I, pen. It's a Bic. Yeah. Uh, it's like a, a Series... G, oh my goodness! I didn't even foresee this at all. This is okay. This shows that even more how ter- how cherished it is to me. It is the ink around it on the the outside is completely wore off. The point is, it is a gel pen with a uh, point on the very tip. It's a very fine tip. It's called yeah. The, it is categorized as extra fine. Extra fine. The original one that I found was fine. <laughs> it's like extra virgin olive oil. I don't know what that's about, but this is an extra fine, extra fine pen. Yes. Uh, the original one that I found was fine. I was like, oh, nice. Then when I went to actually, which I've never done, I've never purchased pens before. Because you steal them? I find them. <laughs> Where else are they going to go? <laughs> They're going to go in the garbage. <laughs> so this one, I was like, I was like, well, I can't let, I've, I've, I've tasted the high life. There's no way I can go back. Right. So I actually requested them. My mother-in-law gets me a pack of them every year now for Christmas. Really? Yeah. And uh, I never get through a whole pack in a year because I milk them so much. So I have now quite a, a store, and uh, um, and so I was like, "Well, I'll try out this extra fine kind." I requested that because she was like, "What are those pens you like?" And uh, and it's nuts. One because I write kind of small, and if you do too small with a with a bigger tip, it, it actually it blur blurs. bubbles. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So this one allows me to do that. Now you a little thing about John is he always has paper with him, um, either a small little journal. Or access to something because you do jot things down throughout the day. And it's a habit that we both began kind of at the same time, probably six years ago. Actually, at Gettysburg, I think. Well, that uh, was when, yeah, that was when we started using those leather little journals. Yeah. Uh, I've always had, because of school, I've always had a pen and a pencil. Pen, pencil in my right pocket, pen in my left pocket. It's part of my <laughs> routine. I check every day. And eventually I stopped uh, because outside of school, you didn't always need a pencil. Right. So I always have the pen now. Uh, and the pencils were the ones I was always, were always breaking. So I was like, well, I'm losing pencils anyway. I'll just have my pen. And then I would keep a a little journal in my left back pocket and I'll confess I no longer keep that one around because the replacement, I couldn't find one that wouldn't fall apart from being sat on all the time. Right. 
So I have my journal in my bag. So whenever I got my bag with me, if I'm at work or however, I've got it. But if I'm at a barbecue with you and you're like, hey, do you have something to write on? The answer is going to be no, unfortunately. Right. But if I've got my bag with me, there's always one in there. And then I do always have a pen. Mm-hmm. So anytime I got to sign anything and, and, you know, someone slides a pen towards me, no need. I got it covered. Right now, I'm going to kick with pencils. I've been now for a little over a year just using pencils. I mm. love it. And um, so I carry a journal with me like you do, a leather one. And I carry these mechanical pencils, and I'm in love with them. They're could, a little cheap. They look they look like a yellow pencil. Mm-hmm. And you twist the, the, yeah. the nose of it. Yeah, and I, that's what I use. I could have swore. I've heard this a lot. I've heard a lot of people say, I hate pencils. I hate the scratchiness of them. I yeah. like just the ink, the smoothness. Yeah. I thought you were one of those people. I used to be. What happened? I don't know. Well, these are fine tip pencils. You can make that, you can let okay. that pencil come out a little further, mm-hmm. and it gives you that smooth feel. I also can erase, which I don't have to line through my journal. I can erase. There you go. Um, and I, 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 I love the 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 uh, analog organic feel of what I'm doing there. I don't know. It's and I'm sure it's a face, and I'll end up back in pens at some point. But uh, right how, now I'm how loving. embarrassing back in my pencil phase. <laughs> uh, don't like pictures of that one going around. Yeah. So you'll post a picture of that pen, mm-hmm. maybe one that has the ink on it, since you have a box of them. I'll send a picture of this one because this is the item. Yeah. But I'll I'll say what kind it is. Okay. I, it's a, it's a gel pen, extra fine, G something. Mm-hmm. I'll, I I'm so sorry. I, if I had known this one was faded through, I would have done. Right. I would have found out. But uh, if nothing else, now you know how much I love these pens <laughs> that that they can actually wear off. Yeah. The exterior of them. Yeah. All right. Let's do our commercial. We'll be right back. Upstream is supported by the faithful members of the Upstream team, listeners who give monthly through Patreon. This podcast is just one part of the Jim and John ministry. They also write weekly blogs, have published their first book, and are currently at work on more. Their desire is to produce transformational content as well as offer encouragement and coaching to others. The dream is to see a movement of people who are integrating the work of Jesus into their daily lives and who are joining him on his mission to redeem and restore all things. Check out their website at jimandjohn.com, where you can learn more about the father-son duo and gain access to all they have to offer. If you would like to join the Upstream team, consider partnering with Jim and John on patreon.com slash jimandjohn. A link is also available on the homepage of their website. And remember, there's no H in John. Now let's join Jim and John for the home stretch of today's conversation. All right, welcome back. And um, so the question is, John, can a guy um, be pleasing to the Lord if he lives a quiet life, is productive with his hands, and is not a burden on other people? Yes. Is that so? The question is: Can that be a God glorifying life? Is that and, enough? And where is the if if we have established this um, uh, uh, encouragement to produce? Where is the pro- production in that in that life? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, the clue is at the end of that because he says, "Lead a uh, live a be productive with your own hands, so that you're not dependent on other people." so that your witness will not be tampered with. Mm. So he's assuming a witness. Am I not right about that? Yeah, let me, yeah. Yeah, the last part of verse 11. Uh, Here he does not actually, uh, he just says that you will not be dependent on anybody. Is how it ends. Oh, you read it. I thought you read it differently than that. Yeah, I got us again. 
Yeah, we urge you to do more and more and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life will win the respect of outsiders. There you go. There it is. That's what you're talking about. Yeah, the respect of outsiders. He's he Paul is continuously encouraging us to pay attention to how we're viewed by outsiders. Yeah. And that we are to make Jesus attractive, that we are to make the aroma of Christ a pleasant aroma, and that when people see us and watch our lives, they are to go, hmm, that's different. Yeah. Excuse me. And so um, the witness aspect of your life is a given with the Apostle Paul, and I think it's a given with Jesus, that if all you do is live for you, quiet, productive, even financially generous, but you're not concerned about outsiders, you're not concerned about people who are far from God, mm-hmm. um, then you're, then I would say you're the one talent burying it in the dirt. That there is any, there is, I don't like the word evangelism. I can't think of another word. There's a witness, there's a mission component to your life. Sure. And that that is, that, I think that truly is the talent part, the, the investment part is I'm taking risks, I'm sacrificing for someone else, I'm concerned about the reputation of Jesus, I'm concerned about whether my friends know Jesus, and it doesn't mean I'm standing on street corners with a megaphone, but it means within my personality type and within my oikos, well, this is another reason we're so huge on the oikos principle, Yeah, um, which is that there's eight to 15 people in the front row of your life at any given time, they're watching your life, and you have an obligation, you owe it to God to steward those eight to 15 because he put them there for that reason. And so um, I do think if you live a quiet life and you are productive with your hands and you're not creating needs that other people have to satisfy and you are a model for outsiders and you're serving your eight to 15, I think God is smiling on your life and he's pretty pleased with you. So, and, and this is a big question. What are the other talents and what are what are the other yields of the harvest of, of the from the seeds that they produce mm-hmm. um what does that look like in a practical sense in in someone's life yeah i would say it looks like uh, again in your traffic pattern a neighbor suddenly has um a wreath on the door or you see a bunch of cars in their driveway and you find out someone died in that house and mm-hmm. so the people were there to bring food um, it might look like making sure that grass is cut and offering whatever help you can to them and see into it that you care for your neighbor, to love your neighbors, you love yourself. I think it could look like that. It, sure. could, it could look like uh, digging deeper in your pocket when you see a need, you're aware of a need, and you could meet it. It might look like uh, uh, a, a, a single mom who's got a boy, a son who's 10, 11, 12, coming into boyhood and, and uh uh, puberty with no man to help model for him. Maybe he's got behavior issues. Maybe he really needs a man figure. Mm-hmm. And you step in and say, Hey, can I take your son to a ball game? Can I, when does he play soccer? I'm going to come watch his games. Um, I had a baseball coach when I was a kid who uh, was married but never had any kids. And he was the manager at Griffey's Hamburgers. <laughs> and he coached baseball just so he could give his life to kids. And really? uh, yeah, I'll never forget this guy. I wasn't a Christian. I'm not sure he was, but uh, I was blown away that this guy who had no children wanted to coach me in baseball. Uh, so it looks like that. I think it looks like that. And uh, might God say to you, hey, John, it's time. You and Lindsay, I want you to go to Zimbabwe. 
Mm-hmm. I think if he wants you to do that, he'll make it crystal clear. But the, the point is in the kingdom, the people in Zimbabwe don't matter more to God than the people here. And the people here don't matter more to God than people in Zimbabwe. And I have learned that God couldn't give a rip about economics. Whether you have sure. a lot, whether you have none, it's not even a deal. I think he wants you taken care of and he wants you to be generous. And he wants you to prepare for retirement so you're not a burden to people even in retirement. He wants you to prepare for an inheritance for your children's children because that's biblically called for. So it's a lot there. And while it's romantic to talk about going across the planet and living among the poor and yeah. and eating, you know, what you can scram from the whatever, I don't know that that's a more um I'm not sure that's 10 talents versus five. I think it's obedience to what God asks you to do. Um, you can't run from it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. A calling like that. You mean like, like Jonah with Nineveh. You, you, right. can't, you can't run from the calling. Yeah. I think of Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, mm-hmm. you know, and God calls him to lay on one side of his body in the middle of town square uh, naked for a long number of days to cook his food over his own dung. Jeez. And I'm thinking, man, I love God, but it'd be hard for me to hear him tell me to do that. Yeah. He would have to really make, he'd have to shout. <laughs> <laughs> and he did for, for uh, Jeremiah. He did. It was crystal clear. And uh, I, you know, I want to say, Lord, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I begged God to make us missionaries. Sue and I did. And he never did. So we support missionaries aggressively, uh, but we don't we don't believe he asked us to go. And there was that because you felt like you should, or well, we have a global burden. We care, and again, give us the job nobody else will take. Um, we're willing to go. Turns out, I wouldn't be a very good missionary cross culturally. I'm not that great, hmm. and so, um, but I can raise money. Yeah, and I've proven that over and over and over again. I can raise money for these guys and. That's helpful. Yeah. I think if I were to have a takeaway from this, um, right there specifically, uh, is the um, is the obedience, really. Mm-hmm. So it's not and, – and, and elsewhere I was reading about this because one of the things that bugged me is he didn't – in this video, Chan, and, and again, no – No, we're not beating I, on Francis Chan at all. I it's, love this guy. Yeah. Yeah. But he doesn't talk about a time where he was called to do this. Mm-hmm. He talks about when he did these missions and he thought, I want to do this all the time. I want to tell yep. people about Jesus all the time. And uh, that could be calling enough, the fact that he had this fire for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then later, uh, his specific ministry, now he found out uh, in this little tiny poor suburb of Hong Kong, uh, he found out that was his mother's ministry to like when she was like 17. She mm-hmm. She would go and do ministry here as like a part of her youth group mm-hmm. and that to him confirmed. And, and he, I'm sure he felt called by God to do this, but maybe my takeaway would be because we serve a living God, a dynamic God, mm-hmm. we don't have to just read this and deduce and try and figure it out and be like, well, then he's probably talking to me and I should probably do this mm-hmm. because you can, you can ask, mm-hmm. you can pray, you can, you know, plead with God. So I guess my takeaway would be that it's a personalized relationship that you have and you can, um, in your circumstance, do be obedient to what you feel you're being called to do. Um, and that sounds, cause coming into this, 
Like that doesn't inherently answer my questions. I don't, I don't want that to be like a cop out, but, uh, but I think it's the genuine answer. I think, I think at that point you're being, you're looking to, um, increase that investment. And I would, your eyes are, you're not trying to bury it. You're, you're looking to increase it. And the only asterisk I would add is that we are not to run from uncomfortable contexts. We're not to run away from suffering. Mm. We're not to run away from generosity that's extravagant. We're not to run away from kindness that is um, burdensome and inconvenient. And if we are, then we got it. Then we do have an, a conversation. The Lord's going to probably want to have with us. Hmm. So, you know, do I need to go to uh, Myanmar? Myanmar. Myanmar. And I'm pro- it might be Myanmar. I don't know. I don't know. But do I need to go there and live among the poor to be inconvenienced? Well, maybe, but but certainly, if I'm uh, if I collide with a inconvenient need, God is going to want me to stop what I'm doing and respond. Hmm. And if I'm refusing to do that, if I need my life to be at a certain comfort level, then I got some growing to do. That's that would be my takeaway. Hmm. You don't need to go looking for this. God will bring it if you if you say, "Lord, I'm going to live my life for you today. Today, I'm yours." And I have a schedule. You know my schedule. I have to go to work. Um, but man, I'm yours. Give me, give me opportunities and I'll respond. You show me what to do and I'll do it. And you will start finding opportunities right in front of your path where you can serve. You can, you can be kind, you can be generous, you can do an inconvenient thing. And I think there's, um, I think that's true commitment to Christ. He needs his people in every culture on the earth. Yeah. If every Christian packed it up and left the land of prosperity, for the land of poverty, the land of prosperity would have no witness. Yeah. I was about, and that would be a whole nother tinge. I was going to ask about <laughs> you shaking your feet off to a town and, 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 and leaving it for whatever its desires were. But, but that, that's, that's like apocalyptic kind of stuff. That, that's, that's yeah. big picture. Not, that's I'm, when they reject Christ and they say, you know, we'll kill you if you tell us about Jesus. Gotcha. Not if they're, if they're taken care of and you're not if they're apathetic and yeah. Okay. Well, I hope this was valuable to you. I'm sorry if it was. Uh, it's been therapeutic for the two of us. I yeah. think you know we've been able to think through what is it exactly God's asking us because this is a tension that we have felt. Yeah, and I think being in the wealthiest country on the planet, or even our you know um, lower class is wealthier mm-hmm. than ninety mm-hmm. percent of the planet. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's a tough one when you read uh, that we are to suffer like Christ suffered, and you should count it as like like last week's that. Um, in uh, hardship, there's discipline and it's not to say that we don't suffer hardship. Of course, it's just, right. I think it's, it's, it's hard not to feel a, an oughtness with, with your, uh, with your blessings, which is, which is not at all. Not a bad wrong. thing. Yeah, yeah. Not a bad thing at all. Yeah. So, all right. Well, listen, we'd love to hear comments on this. If you've identified with this struggle, if you've had it, if you have some insights for us, please send them to us on email info at Jim and No H in the John. We'd love to hear from you. Also, we would love to hear uh, future episode ideas. If there's things you're like, man, I wish you guys would talk about this, let us know. We would love to uh, honor that with an episode. Yes, please. We would love that. And uh, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, your time is is very valuable, and uh, and we're very grateful for it. And we will see you next week.